The Easter story is well known. Like Christmas, you know, the year rolls around and we're back reading the same verses and familiar passages again. But familiarity can be such an enemy. We can read about Jesus' triumphant entry, the Last Supper, Jesus' trial. And if we're not careful, we can go through the motions and actually take none of it in. Easter will come and go, and we won't have processed what it is all about. You know, when we read about Jesus' death and his resurrection, we must stop and remind ourselves that this is the most important event in history. When we pause and reflect about this is God himself laying himself down at the hands of his created people, for his created people, we see the depth, we see the horror, and we see the magnificence of this season. The reason I'm saying this is because the passage we just read, we see that Luke is an absolute master with the pen. You know, we can skim through the Easter story and we can miss so much. But Luke chooses his words and he arranges them in such a way that it can speak volumes to us if we just slow down and reflect and really read God's word for what it is. In the passage that I've just read about Jesus' trial, there are three switches or three exchanges that goes on, where Luke flips something on its head in a way that we don't expect. So I'm just going to spend a few minutes going through them. The first switch or exchange that Luke depicts is between Pilate and the crowd. So Jesus is arrested in the middle of the night, and he only has a few of his closest followers with him, and they soon run off and disappear. He is taken to the high priest's house, where he is accused and tried through the night before the Jewish high council. This crowd said what they wanted. They made up false accusations. They spat in his face and beat him. However, this religious crowd, though they had authority to, in a religious setting, they didn't have the authority to condemn Jesus to death. And that is why they brought Jesus before Pilate early in the morning. Pilate is the judge. He is the only one who can give Jesus the death sentence. And as a judge, he is responsible for assessing the claims of witnesses, questioning the accused person, and then presenting his decision. And that's what judging is. Luke shows his process in verses 13 to 16. Look, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man, the one who is inciting the people to rebellion. He presents the claim. He then says, I've examined him in your presence, and I've found no basis for your charges against him, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. That is Pilate's verdict. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. And that is Pilate's decision. In any normal setting... The trial will be dismissed, it will be concluded, and the judge's decision will be carried out. But this isn't a normal setting. This is the turn of history set in time before the world began. And therefore the crowd, 
This huge mob of religious figures, whether temple guards or experts in law, they speak up. When Pilate presents his verdict that Jesus is innocent and will be released, they shout back their verdict and call for Jesus to be crucified. In every normal trial setting, this exchange would not happen. The judge is the judge and the witnesses are the witness. Yet here, Luke so cleverly depicts the change of places. Three times, Pilate declares his verdict, and each time the crowd shouts theirs. This is the first switch. Pilate the judge exchanges places with the crowd. The crowd became the judge and decided Jesus' fate, and Pilate stepped back. He washes his hands, and he watches on. And that is the first exchange. Pilate, the judge, changes places with the crowd. The second switch or exchange is between Jesus and Barabbas. Let's firstly look at Jesus in today's passage. In just the 13 verses that I read, he is described as innocent three times. In verse 14, Pilate says, I've examined him in your presence and I've found no basis for your charges against him. In the next verse, he says, he has done nothing to deserve death. And again, in verse 22, Pilate says, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Both Pilate and Herod could not find any basis for the charges against Jesus. And Luke even says that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Jesus is innocent, and Pilate knows it. In fact, through the entirety of chapter 23 in Luke's gospel, Luke repeats again and again that Jesus is innocent. In verse 4, Luke records Pilate again saying he finds no basis for a charge. Later on, when Jesus is on the cross, one of the men being crucified next to him says to the other, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And finally, when Jesus has breathed his last, a centurion looks on and says, surely this was a righteous man. Luke is hammering Jesus' innocence home. We don't need it to read it in the Greek or to be a scholar to see that Jesus is innocent. But why? Why is Luke emphasizing Jesus' innocence in such a key way? I don't think it was because of conspiracies. I think Luke was setting up the second of the three exchanges that we're looking at today. Because when we look at Barabbas, we see that he is only mentioned twice. And each time that he is mentioned, his conviction follows. Look at the end of verse 18 into 19. The crowd shout, release Barabbas to us. And then directly after, Luke adds, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. And the second time, Luke doesn't even identify Barabbas by his name. He just calls him by his conviction. Verse 25, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for. According to Luke, Barabbas' conviction was his identity. Also, interestingly, Notice what Jesus is accused of and what Barabbas is convicted of. Pilate says to Jesus, you brought me this man 
as one who is inciting the people into rebellion. But when Barabbas is introduced, we see he is convicted of insurrection, which is rebellion. Jesus is accused of exactly what Barabbas has done. And so here we are. Luke has set us up. Jesus, the innocent man, declared so by Pilate three times. And then Barabbas, guilty, sentenced and on death row, awaiting crucifixion. Clearly guilty and clearly innocent. This is an easy judge decision for a judge to make. And this is Luke's second switch. The innocent is convicted and the guilty walks free. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And finally, we have switch three. Barabbas is us. Christ died in the place of sinners so that the justice of God is satisfied and sinners escape punishment. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are just like Barabbas, sentenced and on death row. The wages of sin of death. And let's be honest, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can sit and pretend we're perfect this Easter. But one day we will meet God, and he knows our hearts, and there is no pretending or hiding then. There's a funny scene in the film Shawshank Redemption, where the main character first arrives in prison, and he's chatting with some of the guys. When he's asked what he's in prison for, the main character protests his innocence and says that he didn't do it. And the other guys and prisoners laugh. And they say, everyone here is innocent. You know, they're joking because they say, like, well, we're not guilty. It was just the, the lawyer who messes up. And it's funny because it's stupid. It doesn't matter what criminals say about their guilt or their innocence. The judge and the people in authority have tried them and declared them guilty. Then they can believe and they can plead whatever they want. It won't change the fact that they're condemned and guilty. And the same applies with us. You might disagree with me calling you Barabbas. You can declare your innocence and said that you've, you've lived a good life. But if Jesus doesn't have your heart, and you've not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you can believe what you want. But God pronounces you guilty. And his judgment is final. He is the greatest, most holy and terrifying judge. Not some wet drip like Pontius Pilate. Luke means for us to identify both with Jesus, our Christ, our Lord and Savior, but also with Barabbas, a guilty man, 
desperate in need of saving. Colossians 2.14 says, He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. As those nails went into Jesus' hands and feet, the record of charges our sinful nature was put between that nail and Jesus' flesh. And it was crucified on that cross. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. From verses 16 to 25, Luke uses the word release five times. That's five times in nine verses. Luke wants us as readers to grasp that Jesus' condemnation brings release. Jesus' conviction brings release. And Jesus' conviction and condemnation not only lead to the release of Barabbas, but to the release of you and to the release of me, should we accept it. Jesus the innocent not only switches place with the guilty Barabbas, but with the guilty and condemned from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who accept Jesus. The switch of Jesus and Barabbas is a foretaste of the great switch of the cross. Jesus took all our sin. He bore the wrath of God and punishment for our sin. And if we accept and believe that he did that, then God will pronounce you innocent, clean, righteous, pure, holy. Why? Because of this final switch. Jesus took our guilt and our sinful nature and we received his righteousness and his innocence. When he died, he bore our punishment so we can experience no condemnation. Praise God for that. He bore our punishment so we can experience no condemnation. So just as the accusations toward Jesus match that of Barabbas' crimes, the punishment and wrath that Jesus took on the cross match that which is owed for our crimes. Have you been carrying guilt? Jesus died to take that away. Accept him in your life and leave that guilt on the cross. Do you look, to, do you look at your messed up life and think, how will I ever be right and whole again? Well, Jesus' broken body brings healing in our brokenness. You've got a strong addiction, the cross is stronger. The cross is everything. History changed at the cross. Sin was beaten at the cross. Death was destroyed at the cross. We need to grasp the wonder of the cross. It is greater than your greatest sin. It is bigger than your unbelief. Come to the cross. If you came here today, or you've You've rolled into Easter, praying for a word from God. If you're hoping for something personal from God this Easter, then here it is. And listen up. Four nails, a crown of thorns, and three words. It is finished. There's your personal word. 
my king. That's my God. That's my Lord, my Jesus. What about you? What about you? Come to the cross. If you haven't already asked Jesus into your life, then make this great and final switch. Do it today. And you'll understand why we call it Good Friday. We don't know what happened to Barabbas after this. We know that before he was tried, he was a convicted murderer and a rebel. And so much so that Luke calls him by his charges rather than his name. Now forgive me briefly for reading into the text, but I reckon that Barabbas changed after this day. I reckon that he was no longer known as Barabbas, the murdering rebel, but instead as Barabbas, the one who was set free because of Jesus. Barabbas, the one who can live because Jesus died. Barabbas, saved by Jesus Christ alone. Do you know what Barabbas' name means? The word bar at the beginning of a name means son of. And Abba means father. Barabbas' name means son of the father. And I wonder that if following that day, he no longer lived up to the name of a murdering rebel. He realized that the Son of God died so that he could live as Son of the Father. The Son of God died so he could live as the Son of the Father. So I ask you this Friday, what is your name? Is it condemned sinner? Or is it son of the father? There's no middle ground. The son of God died. Accept him as your Lord. And you will receive a new life. And a new name. Let's just pause and pray for a minute.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross for us. We are forever in your debt. We thank you for what you took. The punishment, the wrath, the beating, the flogging. That was ours, but you took it. We thank you what we received from you. Righteousness. Holiness. No condemnation. Help us to recognize the weight of Good Friday, the size of the cross. And the holiness of your name. Thank you, Jesus. time for you to exchange some things this morning one of the dangers of Good Friday is that we can just mark a moment but just for a few moments this excellent word that we've heard today would you just exchange and engage with God Give him that unforgiveness and receive grace. Could you give him the grudge and receive release? Would you give him the addiction and receive? Would you give him your pain and receive strength? you give him your sickness and receive some healing whatever situation you're going through just for a moment as we sit in quietness maybe it might help you to raise your hand would you give him what you're carrying and say Jesus carry this for me I need your grace and help Holy Spirit, 
We have come here to do business with you, Lord. I give you my present situation and I ask you for grace. you're here today and you need to come back to God uh, you've been a church goer or you've been a what we call a prodigal you've been somebody who's been to church and then you've come today because that's what you do at Easter but you know that you've got things in your life that you need to give to God well every head is bowed and every eye is closed I'm going to pray a prayer if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus and you can agree with this prayer and you want to receive him into your life or come back to God I'm going to pray it slowly so that you can pray it along with me and those of you who are sure that you are at peace with God why don't you say it just softly with me to help those who are praying Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I'm sorry that I've not lived for you.
forgive me for the things that I've done wrong. I admit that I have not lived for you. But I turn away from that now. And I come back to you. I receive you as my saviour. And say this. Save me, Lord. I receive you as my Lord. Lead me, Lord. Holy Spirit, come into my life now and fill me. I give you my heart. Amen. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer and you just want to make a public confession of that, would you just raise your hand just right now? Because we want to help you if you've come back to Jesus. Anybody here? Please stand with me if you will. I just want to ask all the hosts if you'll just come forward. Because in this time, you may need to receive some strength from Jesus. And as our worship team comes,